You're listening to Call of the Herald, book one of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 12 If you wish to find yourself, you must first admit you are lost. Anonymous Philosopher Katrin left the crumbling plateau behind, her body throbbing with energy, her senses heightened. As the breeze caressed her skin, the hairs on her arms and neck stood up. The roar of the mudslide pounded against her overly sensitive hearing, and she retreated from the din. Followed by Benjen and the others, she headed toward the northern end of the valley. There, the mountains turned east, and the valley grew wider. With little dry ground, they had to slog through a foul morass. Clinging mud made loud sucking noises as it hung on to their boots, weighing them down. As the valley widened farther on, small sections of dry land appeared more often, like giant turtles in a sea of murky water. The valley floor was made up of rolling hills, and when they found dry spots at the tops of the hills, it was only before they descended into valleys of muck. Puddles harbored fish, stranded by the rapidly receding water. Katrin wanted to take the fish back to the river, but she knew it would require too much time to do it right. She and Benjen had spent hours once, catching fish in buckets after they were stranded by the Pinook River, which had overflowed its banks. Because the fish would die if they were quickly moved from warm water and put into frigid water, they put the buckets into the river at the shallows until the water temperature gradually dropped. Then they tipped the buckets over so the fish could swim out. She had enjoyed seeing the fish disappear into the river, safe, and wished she could save these fish too, but there was no time. The mountains threw long shadows as the waning sun set fire to the skies. Bold strokes of crimson and ochre made for a breathtaking display. Patches of dry land gradually became larger, and some were almost suitable campsites. I think that hill up ahead looks like a good place to camp, Katrin announced. There's not much cover over there. I think we should try to find a better hiding place, Benjen said. No, she said determined to embrace her new role, despite her insecurities. I'm not going to hide anymore. I have to show the Jean I don't fear them. Instead, I will strike fear into them. Let them find us in the open, sitting by our fire, and let them see we are not hiding. Let us invite them to take us if they will. They will feel my wrath if they do. No one but Benjen seemed to know what to make of the change in Katrin. He had accepted her as the herald and let her be in complete control of their destinies. The others had known Katrin most of her life and seemed to have a difficult time accepting her now as the figure of legend from the prophecies. But they had seen too much of her power to deny it, and slowly they came to believe. 
as you wish, Benjamin said with a short bow. He walked ahead to look for dry wood. Chase matched his stride. Strom and Osborne remained alongside Katrin as she headed toward the campsite. Is there anything you need us to do? Miss Katrin? Osborne asked, looking uncertain. Katrin sighed. Please don't call me Miss Katrin. Not you or Strom or Chase. You're my friends and I need you. I'm sorry I bossed everyone around and was so mean, she said, sounding much more like herself. Oh, that's all right, Miss Katrin, Strom said with an impish grin. We know you have the whole Herald of Istra thing to contend with. We could probably forgive you for being weird. I want you to dig, Osborne said in a high-pitched voice. From here, he posed and pointed. To here, he finished with a flourish. You best be careful, Osbo. You don't want to risk the wrath of Miss Catrin. Fear the wrath, boy. Fear the wrath, Strom said as he ducked away from Catrin's playful jab. While she was relieved to know she had not lost her friends, Benjamin's behavior concerned her. His sudden change in personality was as bizarre as her own, and she needed to talk to him soon, but she feared she would insult him. She had looked up to him for so many years, and he had always been the first one to help her with her unusual ideas. She would never hurt him on purpose, but she did need to understand some things about him. When they reached the top of the hill, Chase and Benjamin were setting up a fire circle beside a small supply of firewood already stacked to one side. You're absolutely certain about the campsite and the fire, Katrin? Benjamin asked. His use of her name annoyed her for reasons unknown, and she suppressed her irritation. Yes, this will be fine. Strom, Osborne, you asked if there was something you could do and... Now there is. Would you gather fish from the puddles, please? Strom and Osborne both nodded, and they left seeking fish. Katrin turned to Chase. Can we talk for a moment, please? I really need to know your opinion on something. Chase raised an eyebrow and nodded before following her. A nearby tree grew around a large boulder, cradling it in its massive trunk like a great claw clutching a mystical orb. Katrin climbed atop the boulder and sat cross-legged. Do you believe I'm the Herald of Istra? she asked. Chase had always been her closest confidant, and they trusted one another. Before their tragic deaths, their mothers had been quite close, and Chase and Katrin had spent most of their childhoods together. Chase had the same pain she had, and she knew he would be honest with her. I think, he paused a moment, thoughtful. I think I do, Cat. I mean, all the signs are there, and you have shown your power. He pondered for a moment and then returned the question. Do you believe you're truly the Herald of Istra? Yes, I do she replied. I didn't want to believe, at first. I tried to tell myself it was all coincidence, but things just kept happening, 
no matter what I believed. What is the Herald supposed to do? I have no idea, she admitted. I wish I did know. It would certainly make things easier. I guess I'm supposed to destroy the Jean, but I'll be boiled if I know how or why. They sat quietly for a while. Strom and Osborne returned with an abundance of fish, and Katrin watched them while her thoughts drifted. What did you do on the plateau today? I mean, how did you hit the ground so hard? Chase asked. I've never seen anything like that. It's hard to explain, she began. It's like trying to describe an eagle's call to someone born deaf, or a sunset to someone born blind. I guess, in this sense, I was born blind. But something opened my eyes. I'm still uncertain about a great many things, but I'll give you my best guess. I think the comet flooded our world with energy, and somehow I can gather that energy, focus it, and release it. I'm not exactly sure how I do it. That's just how it feels when it happens. I think I understand. What opened your eyes? It could have been a number of things, I suppose. But I think it was Peyton's staff. She paused. Something inside me snapped. I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I'll tell you what I remember. When I saw my reflection in the wood of his staff, I knew I saw my own death approaching. I think my conscious mind accepted my fate and waited for the killing blow. Perhaps it was my unconscious mind that reacted instinctively. She realized how strange her words sounded, but they were the closest thing she had to an explanation. Well, Cat, this is how I see things. You're the Herald, and you have great power, but you don't know how to control it. Your instincts seem to tell you things the rest of us cannot hear. I don't think you're any different from the rest of us, except that you've had some experiences that expanded your mind. The prophecies say you'll destroy the Jean nation, so I guess we should concentrate on doing that first. Katrin saw thousands of complexities, and Chase had reduced them to a few simple statements. She shook her head and laughed. I'll get right on that nation-destroying thing. The pain in her left thigh got her attention as she got down from the boulder. Most of her body was sore, but her thigh felt different. It felt as if she had a small spot of sunburn. Then she recalled having pain in her thigh while she was engulfed in power. She reached for the tiny carved fish still in her pocket, precisely over where she felt the sting. The carving looked worse than she remembered, now dull and chalky. It retained its shape, and even in its current state, it was oddly beautiful, and she was surprised it hadn't been broken or crushed during her misadventures. She guessed it must have bruised her leg during the climb, and when she could find no other reasonable explanation, she accepted that. What have you got there? Chase asked. I found this while exploring the passages beyond the cavern. I'd completely forgotten about it. It looks like a carving of a fish, 
don't you think? It's pretty crude, but yes, I'd say it resembles a fish. I don't think you want to keep it in your pocket if you want it to stay whole. Here, I have something for you. He reached into his shirt and pulled out a plain and simply made silver locket. Its worn surface dented and scratched. Katrin had seen the locket many times, but she had never seen what was in it. It hung from a necklace made of thin leather straps, braided together and tied in a knot. He deftly separated the strips and removed one. He retied the two remaining strips and slipped his necklace back on. You never know when these thongs will come in handy, he said with a wink. She watched him form a tiny noose from the leather thong. He extended his open palm and she placed the small carving in his hand. He looped the little noose around the tail of the fish and created a necklace that firmly secured her carving. May you wear it in good health, he said, placing it in her hand. She admired his handiwork holding it up and studying it for a moment before slipping it around her neck. She let it hang outside her shirt so it could be seen. It's beautiful in its own way. Don't you agree? It's a lot like you, Cat. If you look hard enough, it's kind of pretty, he said with a smirk. Perhaps you're both jewels in the rough. He ran ahead of her back to the campsite, drawn by the smell of cooking fish. Benjamin and the others were eating fish and drinking the last of the spring wine. More fish roasted over the fire, with a plate of fillets waiting to be roasted. I give thanks to the mighty fishermen who have provided so well for us. My compliments to your skills, Katrin said with a smile. The day had left them tired and hungry, and the fish were satisfying. The spring wine disappeared, and they wished that bottle were not the last. Despite their exhaustion, restlessness set in. Benjamin kept a watchful eye on the surrounding land, alert for any movements. But the night remained peaceful and still. Katrin longed for something sweet, and, thinking she smelled apples, stood and said she was going to look around. Clear skies and a full moon illuminated the night, and she searched the sky for the comet. It was smaller and farther across the sky, but when she spotted it, her thoughts focused on it, and she was drawn to it. It mesmerized her and drew her closer, but she became frightened and turned aside when arcs of power leaped between her fingertips. Shaken, she walked on following a trail defined by smell alone. She was nearly at the base of the hill when she spotted the trees, mere paces above the mud line. They were few and stunted, but they were heavily laden with fruit. Katrin scanned the branches for ripe apples and picked those within her reach, but she wanted a few more. As she stood on the tips of her toes and stretched toward an apple, hands grabbed her waist. She gasped when they lifted her high into the air, but she was reassured when she heard Benjamin chuckle. She snatched four beauties from the highest branches, and Benjamin lowered her gently. It looked like you needed a lift. Except for the fact that you frightened me out of my wits for a moment. I thank you. I'm glad you're here, too. 
I need to talk to you. He nodded, and she went on. Do you believe I'm the Herald of Istra? Yes, I do believe you are, he replied slowly and deliberately. I believed it the instant you said you were. I was undecided until that moment. When I returned from Harberton and found out you were gone, I was worried beyond reason. Chase and the others were just as distraught, and we reviewed everything we knew. They told me about the night at the Great Oak Grove. I'm truly sorry about that, Katrin. Why do you keep calling me that? You've called me Lil Miss for as long as I can remember. Why don't you still call me that? I'm sorry, Cat. Uh, Little Miss. He fumbled. You've changed in the last year. And for the better. You're becoming a strong young woman. It's not the changes in you that caused me to use your name, though, he said, and Katrin glanced up in surprise. I've been remiss, you see. I have failed to properly perform the duties of a position passed to me by my grandfather. When I was a boy, he said he had a very important job for me. He said we were guardians of the Vestrana, though I knew very little of what that meant at the time. I had already been sworn to secrecy, and he knew I could keep a secret. I guess he was right about that, at least, because you were only the third person I've ever told. He said our job was difficult, but had a single aim. We were to protect the Herald and their line, and swear our lives to them. Since I didn't understand it first, he explained it. A time will come when the Herald will need protection and our family will answer that call. That is our destiny and our duty, he said to me. He told me to train myself, both as weapon and shield, and so I became a soldier. Fascinated, Katrin nodded for him to continue. That's why I started calling you by name. It's my duty to show you proper respect. Katrin needed time to absorb what she had heard. Her preconceptions of events and people kept shifting. Benjen had always lived at the farm with her and her father, and had always been a part of her world. She never before wondered why he lived there and had no wife or children of his own, and she began to see him in a new light. Well, the Herald is telling you to stop it, she said, smiling and waving her finger in his face. You can call me by name if you like, but not solely because I'm the Herald. Benjamin smiled. Lil' Miss, consider it done. What do we do from here? She asked. I think we should do what you think is best. I'll give you my best advice if you want it, and I'm sure Chase and the others will as well. But my first duty is to protect you. I hope you consider our advice. Compare it to your senses and your gut, and then make your decisions based on those things. I'll do my best to help, no matter what you decide. She felt inadequate and small, yet it was up to her to decide what actions to take, what course to follow. The responsibility was a little frightening. What if she made the wrong choices?
I don't want you to stay with me because your family was sworn to protect the Herald. I want you to stay because you want to stay. She managed through tears she hadn't realized she was crying. Benjamin pulled her into his arms, hugging her close. There, there, little miss. Don't you cry. I'm here because I want to be here, and no one could tear me away. My duty to the Herald is just a fortunate coincidence that tells me to do what I would have done anyway. Katrin cried and hugged him back. Then she wiped her eyes and gathered the apples, while he picked several that were not yet ripe, saying they would make a nice treat in a few days. When Katrin stood, he noticed her carved fish. I like your necklace. Thank you. So do I. I found it while exploring in the cavern, and I just remembered it when I was talking to Chase. He made a necklace for me, she said. He did a nice job. It compliments you. Premendals shuffled along the halls with the rest of the refugees as they were moved to their new home within the audience halls. As the seemingly endless line of humanity poured into the halls, pushing, shoving, and vying for any scrap of space they could claim as their own, Premen faked a coughing fit. Standing in the arched entranceway, flanked by the strange carvings that adorned the archway, and pretending to catch his breath, he examined the mechanism Master Edling had told him about. The entranceways were narrow, yet long, and they served more than one purpose. Though the ceiling was decorated and appeared to be of solid rock, it was a ruse. The designers of the master house had foreseen the possibility of a siege, and they had built defense mechanisms into their fortress. Above these corridors lay a mountain of rubble and rock, supported by joists that could hold its weight, but little more. Above that stood a massive shaft, and at the top, an enormous weight was suspended by a chain. All Premen had to do was retrieve the special rod that Master Edling had told him how to find, insert it into the mouth of either carving, twist, and yank. That was all there was to it. At least that was what Master Edling had said. How Premen was supposed to trigger all three collapses before anyone emerged was something of a mystery. But Premen didn't care. He had nothing to lose. The thought of killing all those people, sentencing them to starvation, would have made most men sick. But Premen considered himself a practical man. The loss of the refugees would mean many more months before those in the master house would either starve or be forced to surrender themselves into slavery. When he had revealed to Pete and Ross that he could escape through the sewers, Premen had known he was sending the boy to his death, but he had also known that it would mean one less mouth to feed. Now he would achieve the same result, only on a much larger scale. Chapter 13 Even the greatest catastrophes bring new opportunities for life. Brother Ramirez, Cathurin Monk Eager to put the plateau behind them, 
Katrin set a brisk pace. The sodden valley reeked of rotted vegetation and dead fish. This valley runs all the way to the coastline. The mountains on our right turn south and open into this area. The Argast Desert, she said aloud while glancing at her map. She remembered the Argast Desert from school, a vast wasteland. Nomadic tribes were said to wander the area, but no one had reported seeing them in generations. The ragged northern coastline bordered the desert and was lined with mountains which dwindled in the east. The southern coast was flat and lined with long stretches of sandy beach. It would be a long hike south, but Katrin thought it might be easier than the mountains. She thought of how nice it would be to walk along the ocean with the sound of crashing waves to soothe them. Do you think we should go north or south when we reach the desert? North, Benjen replied immediately. The southern coast would be a more pleasant journey, but there's no cover there, and those lands can easily be patrolled by ships. We'd be inviting the entire Jean fleet to intercept us. The northern coast is much less accessible to enemies. There's very little safe anchorage, and most of the shoreline is made up of steep cliffs and mountains. If we stay close to the mountains, we should only have to skirt around the edges of the desert, which is not only uncomfortable, but often deadly. However, it is our best route. How many days would it take us to walk straight across the desert? It's hard to say, he said. I'd say six days at the least, and as long as ten in the event of sandstorms. The days are hot and the nights cold, and there's almost no water. Venomous snakes, lizards, and scorpions are almost impossible to avoid. Before Benjen could continue, Katrin cut him short. I agree we should avoid the desert, and I agree the southern coast is too dangerous. So, let's discuss the northern coast. What kind of difficulties do you expect on that route? There are venomous snakes in that area as well, but fewer. We must be watchful for glass vipers. They're deadly, and because of their ability to take on the color of their immediate surroundings, they can be almost impossible to see. Beyond that, there are predator cats, roaming packs of wolves, and possibly bears, but they should not pose too great a threat. We'll just need to be cautious. The foothills are partially forested, which should provide additional cover should we need it. How many days will it take us to go north, around the desert? Do we have enough provisions? I'd say 14 days until we reach the east coast, and then another two south to the cove. We have enough food to last 10 days comfortably, the full 14 if we stretch it. Of course, we may find game along the way, but I wouldn't count on it. We've got enough water for three or four days, and we'll need to replenish our supply as we travel. Katrin nodded, scanning her map for indications of water features, but they were few. Are there any other sources of water to the east? I don't see many marked on the map. We'll need to be watchful, Benjen said. I'm sure there are streams and creeks that aren't on the map, but we'll have to find them. Once we reach the desert and turn north, we'll be entering territory I've never traveled, 
and I'll know little more than what the map shows us. The sun rose higher, and so did the temperature. As they were trying to get some relief from the heat, Benjamin snapped his head to the left, squinting into the bright light. Chase saw it too. I saw something moving in those trees. I did too, Benjamin said, but I didn't get a good look. They all watched the trees for a long while, but nothing moved. If someone lurked there, he remained hidden. Probably just a deer, Chase said. Anxieties ran high, and they often looked over their shoulders for signs of pursuit. The tension and uncertainty gnawed at Katrin, like an itch she could not scratch. Distant noises and glimpses of movement were the only indications of pursuit, but each occurrence renewed their apprehension. Katrin tried to convince herself it was her vivid imagination that each distorted echo was an approaching battle cry, and that within every shadow lurked men intent on killing them. Though she had vowed to show the Jean no fear, she hadn't promised not to feel any. That concludes this episode of Call of the Herald. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening.